Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, and welcome to Leading Edge Love Radio. This is your host, Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach. Have you ever wondered how well-suited you are for ethical non-monogamy? Well, you can find out by taking my quiz, and you can find the quiz right on the homepage of my website, sumatisparks.com. That's S as in Sam, U, M as in Mary, A, T as in Tom, I, Sparks, as in Sparks are Flying, .com. And when you enter your email, you'll be added to my mailing list as well, and you'll be the first to learn about both my online events as well as my live events in the San Francisco Bay Area. So tonight I'm really excited to have as my guest Magenta, Magenta Brooks. She's a polyamory relationship coach and sex educator. She's a kinky, queer, polyamorous parent focused on helping people ethically and joyfully navigate through relationship challenges and transitions. Welcome to the show, Magenta. Hi. Thank you so much for having me. So glad to have you. So I usually like to start by asking about your own personal journey to polyamory. What, what did that look like? Uh, when I was a teenager, I um, was in a pretty, I had a pretty unhealthy idea of what relationships looked like, and um, I had to kind of redefine what I wanted in relationships. So um, I was, I, I had read The Ethical Slut. It really, uh, it, it said something, it spoke to me, um, and I became in effect, polyamorous, although I didn't have the language for it at that time. And I was poly for a good long time. Uh, Then when my husband and I met, actually, we ended up being functionally monogamous for about a decade. Uh, Poly was always Mm. on the table, but it wasn't the right thing for us at that time. And then when it became the right thing for us, we opened up. And um, I'm actually really grateful for having had that experience because it allows me to kind of... uh, I think if I had just been poly the whole time, um, I wouldn't necessarily be able to connect with people that were going through that transition of shifting from monogamy to polyamory. So, um, yeah, we we became poly, and um, that was years and years ago. Um, mm. And it is has become such a... Uh, Sorry, uh, it's become such a part of my life. Um, it resonates so clearly to me that, um, I don't know, it's been a, a source of a lot of joy, I think, for both of us, mm-hmm. for, for everybody in my polycule. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, people do switch back and forth. Um, I know people who are poly all their life, and they met a mono person, and they decided that they wanted to be with them, and they just kind of put it on the back burner, and... Um, it is something that's more fluid. It, it, for some people, they're they're more committed, but other people feel like it's fluid and they can be a choice. Don't you find that? Absolutely. I think it depends on the person and it depends on the situation. Um, mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, for, for us at the time, it made sense. Um, at this point, it no longer would. Like transitioning mm-hmm. back to monogamy at this point would not be a thing that would make sense for us. But right. I feel like being able to be flexible with uh, with where your life is at a particular moment is always healthy. Totally. And you said you didn't have a very good relationship um, models. I forget if that's the word you used. Are you referring to the family you grew up in? Family I grew up in, the first romantic relationships I was in, uh, very much reflected um, sort of the unhealthy dynamic that I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um uh, a lot of jealousy, a lot of possessiveness, a lot of um, anger and controlling behavior. Um, mm-hmm. And so when I, you know, honestly, I think when I started exploring the idea of non-monogamy, um, it was in some ways a defense, it was, it was a realization that I had that 
what I had been taught was not healthy for me, and it didn't resonate for me, and I didn't want to live that way. Um, so it was a long process for me of figuring out what was right for me. Right. And then when you read The Ethical Slut, what were one or two things about it that made you just have an aha moment? Um, I've always been really focused on ethics and honesty. Um, the mm. The idea of... Uh, Lying actually kind of makes me physically ill. Um, mm. But I also recognized that, um, you know, the idea of monogamy didn't make a lot of sense to me. I wanted, to, I liked the idea of being able to be uh, open and honest and in control of my own uh, body and sexuality and my own, uh, what I did with my life. So reading that there were other people out there, and I was quite young at the time when I read it, but that there were other people out there who were fully functional adults that had found ways of being really true to themselves while also, you know, and, and remaining very honest was just, it was eye-opening to me. Because in the past mm-hmm. it, it seemed like basically I, I had a choice between owning myself and owning my own um, sexuality or having loving connections. It's very much when I was younger felt like an either or. And so reading The Ethical Flood, it was such a wonderful wake-up moment of, oh, you know, actually, I can have both. Nice. Well, let's get right down to the the nuts and bolts of polyamory and talk about the J word, jealousy. (laughs) um, (laughs) what What comes up for me when you talk about ethics and honesty is, my first polyamorous relationship 20 years ago, I still lied. Even though I learned about polyamory, learned it was a thing, my partner was open to practicing it with me, and I still lied about seeing another lover because I was afraid that he would see other people if I did. So I wanted to see other people, but having my partner see other people is that's where the rubber meets the road, right? Like that's <laughs> right. that's what separates the women from the girls and the men from the boys. So um, I had to really learn to manage my jealousy and transform it into abundance and love, and it's been an ongoing practice for me. So I'm wondering how you um, managed, if you ever felt jealous or how you manage it, and then how you teach other people to deal with that. So I have definitely felt jealous. I mean, I've I've been doing this for a long time, and it's, such a healthy, wonderful part of my life, and I still have moments, and I'm, I'm, I mostly laugh at them, um, where it feels hard, and it's always harder to be the person. Uh, it's always easier to be the person who's going out on the date than it is to be the person mm-hmm. who is, you know, uh, supporting that. Um, compersion mm-hmm. is not always easy, um, but one of the things I really try to encourage people to do is to be okay with the fact that they're jealous. I have people, I, I had a, a woman come up to me after I gave a talk a while back, um, and she said kind of, she said very sotto voce, she said, you know, my husband and I are talking about opening up, um, and she said very quietly, she said, but I I sometimes feel jealous. You know, <laughs> she was ashamed of saying that. Yes. And I, yes. I told her, of course you do. Um, our society teaches us that, there's only one way to have love, and we are taught to believe in um, scarcity thinking, that if we don't jealously protect our love, it will leave us, that there isn't enough to go around. Um, we're taught this from birth, you know, from movies and TV and every song on the radio practically mm-hmm. is about yeah. there's not enough and you're not safe. So, of course, you feel not safe sometimes and sometimes it just sucks to be the person who's at home alone you know Um, so acknowledging the fact that you're having a feeling um, being able to communicate with your partner um, that you know maybe you need extra reassurance Um, reframing the narrative so when you when you think about sometimes it takes a lot of um, intent so your partner is going to go out and see somebody, and it's scary. Um, actually, I, I love using analogies. Um, I had the first time my 
husband brought home a woman that he was planning on going and spending the night with. He At this point, he had never spent the night away. We had had mm-hmm. more casual lovers, and we kind of always ended up being at home back together at the end of the night. And mm-hmm. he had a new girlfriend, and they were going to spend the night together, and that was a hard adjustment for me, even though I had been like super poly person. I was the one behind us <laughs> becoming poly. It was scary. And I had a moment while I was, she's coming over for dinner, and then the two of them were going to go to their hotel. And as I was making dinner, I had this totally illogical flood of just distrust and anger. And I, I kind of had the thought like, you know, sort of, I hate the bitch. I hope, am I allowed to say that? Mm. <laughs> yes, it's I mean, yeah, the, the podcast. Um, yeah, it's really you know, and, and yeah. Okay, good. And so I had a moment, and, uh, and I, I had to go sit by myself for a minute and allow myself to feel the feeling I was having and then to analyze it. And I realized that it was fear thinking. It was scarcity thinking. And I reframed the narrative. I realized that if this woman thinks my husband is awesome, then she has really good taste in people. Mm. And if she wants to give affection and love to my husband wonderful like i want him to have more affection and love in his life and if he likes her he's got really good taste in people um and so then i realized what i was doing i kind of took back control of my own feelings not like i'm going to be left but rather i'm supporting my partner in being loved and having more love in his Mm -hmm. life as he should because he's an awesome human being um not that that always makes it easy but trying to reframe that narrative makes a huge difference because we've just been force-fed the other narrative. You know, anybody who is, you know, looking at your partner is clearly the enemy, is, uh, you know, is a threat. And so kind of working yeah, to reframe that. Yeah, I think also in, in, addition, in addition to that, I think we also um, project onto our partner that they make us valuable or valid or worthy and so there's such a fear of losing them to someone else because without them, who would we be, right? I think that's part of it, too, for me, at least. <laughs> it is, it's scary, but I think one of the things that, there, there's this illusion that monogamy is safer, mm-hmm. um, and it's just not. It's not safer. There is no relationship dynamic that is guaranteed to never collapse. Um, mm-hmm. And so the idea that by jealously, by jealously protecting our love, um, that somehow that is going to keep us safe, it, it's, it's, just, it's just not true. Um, people, relationships fail all the time. People, mm-hmm. you know, um, fall in love with other people, whether they're, you know, dating them or not. People fall in love with, you know, fall in love with other people. They... Uh, they leave, they, they, people grow apart. Um, it has nothing to do with whether you're monogamous or polyamorous. It has to do with how healthy the relationship is. Right. Um, giving up the illusion of perfect safety is actually, I think, helpful because it keeps you focused on nurturing, actively nurturing the relationship rather than I have this relationship, we've settled it, it's safe, we're done, I never have to think about it again. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas when you, um, when you accept that, that we're all growing, evolving people, then we can allow each other to evolve and we can keep our lines of communication open so that I, I personally think that that kind of open interaction is actually safer than jealously protecting the relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if that if that makes sense. No, totally. And I, I think that having an open relationship um, gives you more opportunity, and sometimes kind of even forces you to continually negotiate or talk about or share about what your heart's desires are. Um, because new people are coming in and you're having to uh, share your feelings about that and hold space for each other. Whereas if you're mono, you kind of just fall into a pattern and 
unless you're having some other kind of challenges that forces you into therapy, people are less likely to have those deeper conversations about their desires, I find. So I think it can be a gift, even though sometimes it's hard, it can be a gift in the long run for the health of the relationship to be poly. I absolutely (laughs) think so. I I absolutely think so. I think that, um, like, I don't think there's any moral superiority to polyamory. Like, I know that, Mm -hmm. you know, some some poly people can get a little, uh, they proselytize a little bit. Um, Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, healthy monogamy is wonderful. Healthy polyamory is wonderful. Um, Like, I don't think there's any moral superiority to it. But I have seen many times where polyamory actually really helps people within, you know, a previously monogamous relationship to grow and enhance that relationship as well. Um, You know, my husband and I, when we opened up, um, we had two small children, and Mm -hmm. we were very, very much in love with each other, very actively loving each other. But with two small children, a lot of our interactions had come around to sort of Mm co-parenting more than romancing each other. Um, mm-hmm. when we, and we both really felt like we were put, putting a lot of effort into each other, into actively loving each other. But when we started dating, suddenly uh, we started realizing that there were things that we weren't doing for each other as much anymore. We weren't dating each other. And we'd kind of forgotten in the, in the you know, stress of having you know, a couple of small children, we'd forgotten what it felt like to date and so mm-hmm. one of the really wonderful things that happened uh, at the beginning of our, when we transitioned to being poly, is we remembered to date each other, too. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things we had noticed was our jealousy. Um, I, for one, was completely comfortable with the idea that he might want, my husband might want to have sex with, some, with other people because I have an incredibly high drive and I find lots of people very attractive. So that made perfect mm-hmm. sense. I felt no threat whatsoever. Um, but then he started dating a, a really good mutual friend of ours, and they started making plans for fun things that they were going to do together, and it scared the heck out of me. Suddenly, uh, I, I felt very unprepared for that because it wasn't just lust. That this was fun and mm-hmm. emotional connection, and we had stopped making fun, crazy plans together because mostly we were just trying to plan on who got to sleep in every once in a while. Right. Um, <laughs> And so when he came home and I said, you know, I'm having, I'm having a lot of, I'm feeling really jealous, I'm feeling scared, I'm feeling really insecure, and it's not because you might want to have sex with her, it's because I want to make plans with you too. And it wasn't because I didn't want him to make plans with her in addition, but it suddenly, it reminded me of this thing that we used to have together that I missed, and it served as a wonderful reminder and sort of, uh, kind of a, a lovely, sweet kick in the butt to remember right. to treat each other with that same sort of um, active thought. Right. I, I honestly I, I want to go. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, go ahead. No. <laughs> um, I I had a a person at one point um, express who this this kid he's probably about twenty. And he was very, very much in love with his girlfriend. I think they were going to get married. And he had found out that I was a poly coach. And he was horrified. He thought that it meant that I didn't believe in love mm. and that I wasn't a romantic. And he was just, he, he clearly just, he felt so sorry for me that, you know, I, how could uh-huh. I not believe in love? <laughs> and, you know, I, I absolutely, I'm an absolute romantic. Mm-hmm. Um and so I, I see so many times when having polyamory as an option, not the only option, but as an option, can bring people's relationships to whole new, beautiful, mutually supportive way, uh, places. I think it's very romantic. Yes, and that's programming. There's an assumption that the very definition of romantic love is monogamy, is that if I really love you, there's no way I can love anyone else. That's right in our cultural programming. Oh, it absolutely <laughs> is. Yeah. Um, but I do oh, want yeah. to talk more about parenting and some of the issues around that. But before we go down that road, 
I want to ask you, what are some of the other common pitfalls that people run into when they're transitioning into polyamory for the first time? Um, there's a lot of things, you know, I've, I've been thinking a lot about that, things that, that people, I, I think part of this, people try to tiptoe into polyamory in a way that ends up being, um, it's kind of like tiptoeing into icy water, it might just be better to jump in. Mm-hmm. Um and so there are things like um, uh, unicorn hunting, which is, uh, you know, for, for folks who might not have heard that term, it's, it's usually it's a pejorative term for uh, usually monogamous, hetero-leaning couples um, where they decide to open up. Uh, but by trying to find a, a bisexual girl who only wants to be with them, um, who's, you know, sort of uh, sexually, uh, shows sexual fidelity to them because, you know, it is safer. Um, Mm -hmm. But she's sort of an imaginary person. She doesn't get to have her own wants and needs and desires. She kind of has to fit into the hole that they... She's supposed to love both of them equally too, right? She's supposed to Uh not favor one part of the couple over the other. (laughs) And never need anything when they don't want to give it or things that they don't want, you know. Um, And, you know, it, and what they really need to do is, they, you know, they, what they're really looking for at that point is they're, they're, they're more in line with, like, a swinger thing. They want mm-hmm. a threesome, which is mm-hmm. fine unless you're trying to make, you know, um, make a person fit into your monogamous protected, your idea of your protected monogamous lifestyle while still getting you laid. Mm-hmm. Um and you know you end up with a lot of things like the the uh, I was thinking about this today the the uh, one penis policy, which is a thing right. where, uh, in order to feel safe, it's making making choices based on an idea uh, that gives you a false sense of security, and mm-hmm. doesn't actually address a lot of the problems that uh, of toxic monogamy. Um, mm-hmm. So the one penis policy is you know all right you've got a. a straight-ish couple or a, a straight guy and a bisexual woman, and he says, you know, all right, I can have sex with women, with other women, and you can have sex with women too, but not other men. There can only be one penis. Um, right. And you know, that's not going to work. I, I could go on for an hour for all the reasons that isn't going to work and why it is actually incredibly mm-hmm. disrespectful to the validity of queer relationships um, the reality of emotional engagement um, and problems like in that kind of the one penis policy dynamic. Uh, it also asks the female partner to do all of the emotional labor required to start feeling safe with your partner being with somebody that is similar to you. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it requires her to put all that labor in, but he doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. And these are things where it it looks safer and it's just not going to be. Same thing with, like, big rules and contracts. You know, we're going to, mm-hmm. here's, I you know, I, I met somebody once who had, like, a like literally, a, like, a 10-page contract mm-hmm. of what the rules were going to be for themselves and for anybody else that they be, that they got involved with. And, you know, it's mm-hmm. it's not actually putting the fact that there are other people involved in this that actually right. should be able to have legitimate voices. Well, let's slow down so, a little bit there because that's really important too, I think. But um, before before we go into the other person's feelings, um, so many people believe that when you open, when you start an open relationship, you should make agreements. So tell us a little bit more about why too many agreements is not a good thing. Um, I operate, uh, the, the way um, myself and my partners operate is that we are all um, autonomous individuals and we value our relationships deeply and so we do put thought and care into the choices that we make so that the choices we make are healthy for our relationships. Um, mm-hmm. But nobody is in charge of the other. There's no sense of asking permission because we're all adults. So uh, for agreements, like I can say, um, uh, like, well, what is the thing? Like, actually, I'm negotiating with a person right now. Um, 
I am not comfortable with uh, so my my polycule my my kind of poly family um there's a significant number of people there's like six people in my group that are fluid bonded um and so we all kind of take care of that and we kind of try to protect everybody's feelings of safety but that doesn't mean mm-hmm. that anybody in the group has told has declared all right the agreement is if you are going to have sex with somebody else it has to follow these rules mm-hmm. instead what we did is we've said like you know all right so for my comfort level um, I don't. I choose not to have sex with people that are doing random hookups because, for me, mm-hmm. this is not any kind of shaming or value judgment. But for me, random hookups add to the risk factors enough that it makes me feel unsafe. So that mm-hmm. I won't engage with a person that's having a lot of random encounters. Um, mm-hmm. If one of my partners decides that they want to have a bunch of random encounters. They get to do that, um, and then we may have to reevaluate um, our own our our personal um, dynamic. But I'm not going to. Uh, nobody's setting down rules for each other that you have to follow this or you've betrayed me. It's more mm-hmm. if we're going to keep things going in this way. This is something that I need to feel safe. What do you need to feel safe? Mm-hmm. Um, because a lot of what polyamory, I, I think, often comes down to is that we don't own each other. We're working together. We're partners. We're friends, collaborators. Um, but nobody, nobody is anybody else's parent. Mm-hmm. So the idea of people setting, you know, uh, contracts that that uh, you will be home by eleven o'clock. You will not become emotionally involved with anybody you're dating, um, mm-hmm. like that. It's not going to work that way. Mm-hmm. It, it it's a it's a it's another false sense of security right. that is often ends up biting in the butt. Honestly, mm-hmm. right, right. As real life gets so in the way. Just join, yeah, I get it. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Leading Edge Love Radio, and this is your host Sumati Sparks, the Open Relationship Coach at SumatiSparks.com. We're speaking with Magenta Brooks, a poly coach. We've got some great ideas about not relying, overly relying on agreements. We're talking about um, agreements and how you can hold them lightly and just come from your heart and really be asking for what you want. Um, If you'd like to call in to ask Magenta any questions, this would be a good time. The call-in number is area code 657-383-1132. And you won't interrupt us. You'll just be uh, placed on hold, and we'll answer your call when we're ready. So um, I did want to ask you, so the example you gave, like you have a fluid-bonded group, and then if somebody decides to um, have a random hookup or let's say they decide not to use a barrier with someone or they do something that makes you feel unsafe and you decide that you want to start using barriers with them. So that's a choice that you make based on the choice they made. But still there's bound to be feelings in that around the choice that person made because it affects the level of intimacy you have with them. You follow me? So how, how do you manage the feelings that come up around those kinds of shifts? Um, it's, it is a practice. It's a, I think one of the, the wonderful things and one of the challenging things about polyamory is it doesn't really let you settle into a status quo necessarily. Mm. Um, There's often the need for self-growth and Um, self-analysis. To me, you know, yeah, there there are times when a relationship dynamic ends up changing. With Mm -hmm. monogamy, often it changes and it's a big shock and then everything devolves. In Mm -hmm. a healthy polyamorous dynamic, if a partner makes a choice that... Say, like, I I have a partner, and they choose to engage with somebody in a way that I find is unsafe. That Mm -hmm. is their most honest and true choice that they're making. If I respect them, and I believe that they are wise enough to know themselves, and they're not making, you know, reckless or questionable decisions. And for me, I don't date people that I don't deeply respect. So Mm -hmm. I I won't date somebody who I think is likely to make self-destructive or... 
you know, ill-thought-out choices. Right. If they have decided that, that they need to change a dynamic, then I might not like it. It might suck. But that's where they're at. And I would rather have to deal with some amount of discomfort as we figure out what our new dynamic is going to be rather than try to pretend or, um, you know, set in stone a dynamic that is no longer fully healthy for that partner. Mm-hmm. Um, if things change, it's better to be able to talk about that up front and openly rather than with, you know, and, and, and understand that, yeah, this may not be a fun conversation, but mm-hmm. if that's where the person is, that's where they are. That's not something that you can close your eyes to and, and uh, you know, fake. Yeah, I think that's where we kind of go numb inside when we stay in a relationship dynamic that's no longer completely serving who we've evolved to be just mm-hmm. to keep that false sense of security or avoid hurting someone. That's when we start to go dead inside. So it's better to set people free to pursue who they are today and then move through our grief around the change or any triggers that it causes in us. And the the wonderful thing, I, I agree completely, and, and one of the wonderful things is some of those changes can be with polyamory. It allows non-standard pairings. It allows people who have become maybe disjointed in certain ways to still find ways to, to have the relationship thrive within new parameters. So, mm-hmm. uh, for example, I have a, a partner who's, uh, I'm, I'm a, I am I have a very high sex drive. I have a partner whose sex drive changed. He also um when we got together really tried put in the good college try to uh I'm very very kinky as well and he really tried. But it didn't suit him. And when mm. we were as I told my husband and I when we were monogamous um it became a point of stress because I was not able to have things in my life that really give me a great deal of joy and satisfaction. And he was feeling very pressured. Um, and as, you know, as our drives separated and everything, in a, in a standard monogamous situation, the relationship is kind of over or somebody has to just mm-hmm. suck it up and be miserable. Mm-hmm. Instead, you know, we were able to redefine how we were interacting with each other. And it was not always easy. Um, but we were able to, with care and love and openness, shift our dynamic. Um, you know, I get to have my, my kink needs met. Nobody feels like anybody is failing anybody else. Um, everything is honest and open and healthy, and a dynamic that maybe in your standard monogamous situation might have caused a lot of suffering doesn't have to. Mm-hmm. So sometimes those difficult yeah. moments where, where you realize your partner wants something different than what you had agreed on can actually be the impetus for an enormous amount of growth. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. So now we got to go down this road because you mentioned that you're kinky. So I want to hear about <laughs> your, work in, your work in the kink community and um, then maybe after that we can go into being a kinky, queer, polyamorous parent. <laughs> but um, why don't you talk a little bit about uh, working in the kink community as a poly coach? Um, so I uh, actually did a talk a couple of weeks ago that was really fun on um, consensual non-consent play. Um, I, I focus mm. a lot about, yeah, it's uh, fun stuff, a little edgy. Um, uh, I focus a lot on uh, ethics and communication and negotiation and recognizing how ill-prepared we are by society to actually communicate clearly what we're needing. And when we head into kink dynamics and, you know, you add, the more complications you add in, the more difficult it becomes to navigate because we have just not been taught how to handle this stuff. So kind of trying to help people uh, figure out their way through um, negotiating these things honestly and ethically um, 
I don't know, it's, it's, it's my, my favorite things to do. I can go on for hours. Um, mm-hmm. One of the things that can happen within, like, the kink dynamics, something I've been dealing with recently with, with uh, some people, is um, uh, within the BDSM scene, polyamory can have an interesting complication because depending on the dynamic, uh, some people in their BDSM relationships may have an ownership or a... Um, you know, like a, a daddy role play or um, mm-hmm. uh, sort of an, an emotional hierarchy that can be very complicated if you have, for example, um, a, a dom that you see as a mistress or as, you know, your owner, um, and then you want to see somebody else. What does that mean? How does that mean within, mm-hmm. how does that work out within your kink dynamic? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and it just it's it's a fun and sometimes challenging thing, but I just I I love what people build for themselves. I think I, one of the things I love about polyamory is how wonderfully individual it it is. Yeah, I could see how there would be a unique set of negotiations with those situations where there's like a master slave and then the slave. What's the arrangement if they want to see other people and is the master involved or not. So, yeah, I could see they would really need a coach for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, and then you've had a, an interesting path where um, how old are your children now? They are almost eight and ten. Oh, okay. So they're still Excuse me, young. almost eight and almost and, nine. They're, neither of them okay. have actually turned yet. So. Okay. All right, and then how do you navigate that, you know, being in this alternative lifestyle with also being a parent? I think I'm very lucky in that my children have never known anything other than polyamory. Mm-hmm. Um, as far as their own dynamic goes, they um, they are... So I think it, is, it, it gets a lot more challenging if the children have been raised uh, in a monogamous household with monogamous with a monogamy training and mm-hmm. then then the parents open up that can be or you know sometimes when div- people divorce and then one parent opens up that can be a much more challenging thing for i think both the children and the parents to navigate mm-hmm. um when possible and and i also want to acknowledge i'm i'm in a position of of you know knock on wood a uh, great privilege in that i'm in a situation where uh, I'm not having to worry about custody battles or um, disapproving family members or anything like that. Um, mm-hmm. So I feel very, and I'm in a, in a area of of the country where I feel very socially supported. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, there are places where it is much harder to be open with your children. Um, mm-hmm. Just like it's harder to be open with your, you know, uh, I have friends from areas where it's it's scary to have kids and be queer. Mm-hmm. Um and I I want to acknowledge my own privilege in that I'm I'm not having to deal with a lot of those problems, but for me um the fact that my kids you know we talk about monogamy. We talk I mean you can't not talk about monogamy if you listen to music or watch a movie. The mm-hmm. monogamy uh dynamic is just through all of that. But mm-hmm. um you know, they know our partners. Um, in fact, one of my husband's partners, uh, she's one of my best friends, and our kids have play dates all the time. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so for them, it's just normal. Um, you know, we don't have a revolving door. We don't have people coming in and out, All you know, new people coming in and out. It's always, you know, if somebody, before I bring somebody home, uh, romantically, you know, it's always somebody that I'm feeling very, very comfortable with, that I have an established relationship with. Um, and because we're so social anyway, we have people around all the time. It's just mm-hmm. there are a couple of them that we see a lot of. Um, and so actually that's been very simple. I do sometimes wonder how, you know, my, my son and I talk about monogamy culture because I think it will be an interesting dynamic when he when they start dating. Mm-hmm. I think that will be an interesting thing for all of us to navigate because 
you know, the, the general social understanding is different from what they've been raised with. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of course, I'm biased. And then and how do you... It. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, and so how do you deal with um, your clients who have young children where they might have a job where um, it could really affect their career negatively if they're... Because it's hard to ask a young child to keep a secret. So what if a little child tells their little friend and their little friend tells their parents and somehow it comes back around to your affecting your career or your family relationships? How do you help your clients with those kinds of situations? So, of course, it depends on the specifics, um, but you can downplay monogamy. You can... um, just in, in, you know, sort of in theory, you know, when something comes up with um, around, you know, in a movie about toxic monogamy or, you know, oh, this person has another partner, uh, you know, and you can address the tropes in mm-hmm. a just conversational, theoretical sort of way so that mm-hmm. you give them the idea, like you plant the idea of reevaluating or thinking for yourself around um, the monogamy standard mm-hmm. um, so that at some point when they figure out that you're poly, you know, when something mm-hmm. slips and, you know, at some point then it won't be a huge blow and fear because it's not, if you, if you sit around and talk about monogamy, you know, you know you're going to get married and then, you know, that, that's when you only have one partner and whatever, you know, if, if that's what you're teaching them and then they find out that you're poly, then it's very scary because you've mm-hmm. taught them what to expect out of a relationship. But if you talk in theory mm-hmm. um, about different ways of seeing relationships, then at some point when they do find out, um, they'll kind of they'll kind of get where where you were coming from. You know, it won't mm-hmm. be like a huge oh my god. Um, also, you can. Depending on how old the kids are, um, you can be oh, what is the, like omission. You can say, you know, we have these friends. They're really good friends. They come over. They're like family to us. You know, mm-hmm. and you don't have to. The kids don't need to know that you're having sex with them. Mm-hmm. Um, because that, you know, but you don't have to lie to them either. You can just judiciously mm-hmm. choose how you communicate. Because I think the important thing to me is to avoid a situation where the kid stumbles across information that makes them feel betrayed or unsettled. Right. Because kids um, kind of pick, they pick something up, don't they? They're they're very um, intuitive more than we give them credit for. So don't they kind of already know that there's some kind of special thing going on, even if they don't have words to define it? Absolutely. And the more you treat things as a dirty secret, the more that, you know, they're just, they're going to perceive it that way and it becomes scarier, my ideal is as honest as you can safely be. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean avoiding, safely isn't avoiding some discomfort. You know, Mm -hmm. um, a little discomfort, a little bit of having to have a conversation that feels awkward or strange, that's okay. Awkward and strange is fine. Um, But, you know, if you're in a situation where you know that you are legally going to, you know, need to keep this discreet, Make sure that the the setup that you're giving the kids beforehand is as positive around it as you can be without directly giving things away. So that mm-hmm. when it comes out and they figure stuff out, they already have some of the tools to be able to understand what's going on. But honestly, right. if yeah. honesty is possible, it is not a scarring thing. That is something that... Um, I've heard people be worried about telling their kids about polyamory because deep down the adults that I'm talking to, these parents, still feel shame. They haven't come to a place Mm -hmm. within themselves where they fully believe their own rhetoric, where they fully believe in their own lifestyle choices. So the idea of telling their kids about polyamory, it's like they're, they're they're afraid to say something about that because they're not fully convinced. Right. Um, Good point. Yeah. Yeah, kind and of if getting you to a are, place where you see exactly. Yeah. I was just gonna say, if you um, talk to your children about it the way you're 
the way you say that you talk to your children, like if it comes up in a movie or whatever, and they've grown up knowing that there's different ways that people relate, then it reminds me of something I read online where um, the parents sat their kids down. I think they were, you know, 12, 13, around that age. They sat them down and they had the big, they were going to have like the big poly talk where they were going to reveal to their children. And they told them and the children said, can we go back to our video game now? Yeah. <laughs> like, so what? Leave me alone. <laughs> yeah, right. It's like just not like I really don't care what you're doing, Mom. I think right. one thing to remember, too, though, is to not proselytize to your children either. Mm-hmm. To give, like, I, when I talk to my kids, I don't tell them, you know, I tell them my reasons for, you know, we talk a lot about a lot of different things. You know, I'll tell them, you know, I will address toxic monogamy, certainly. Um, but I don't try to affect how they are going to choose to do their own lives. Um, I don't vilify anybody's paths as long as it's healthy and honest and communicative. Um, mm-hmm. Because we also, you know, sometimes we go into polyamory, you know, because of earlier scars, you know, experiences change us and we may have our own biases that we don't necessarily need to pass on to our kids. So the more positively we can express things with as much, you know, like um, respect of people having their own different paths, I think the better it is for the kids. Mm -hmm. Nice. Um, So before we run out of time, I really want to talk about the relationships with our metamors, and you said one of your metamors is your best friend, so it sounds like you've gotten pretty good at that. <laughs> um, so can you talk a little bit about what is a metamor and why it's important for those relationships to be strong? So a metamor is your partner's partner. So um, uh, there are times where metamor relationships end up, you know, just because your partner is dating somebody and you like your partner and your partner likes this person, that does not necessarily mean you're going to like them. Um, And Mm -hmm. that has to be okay, too. But feeling safe with your metamor, feeling like you are part of a team together makes a huge difference, especially with jealousy and insecurity. Um, Part of the thing I talked about earlier about, like, the, the changing the narrative from, say, you know, your, uh, the person that your partner is dating is clearly a threat to the person that your partner is dating is your partner in loving someone you love. So, for example, mm-hmm. I think that one of the first moments where I had just uh, the realization that my, this was a, my husband's ex, uh, they're still very good friends, we're all friends, but, like, uh, there was a point where my husband was sick and, uh, my, the best thing I could do for my husband was to watch the kids. Um, I couldn't be a nursemaid, uh, you know, but, like, the nicest thing I could do was keep the kids occupied. His girlfriend, mm-hmm. however, she had time. And so she, he went over to her house, and he was really sick, and she took care of him. And, yes, it would have mm-hmm. been nice for me to get to do the, the fun caretaking part, but the mm-hmm. fact was I had a partner in loving Joshua, uh, loving mm-hmm. my husband. Um, mm-hmm. when those relationships are healthy, it's really hard to feel safe when you, when you have that, number one, when you have the narrative that if somebody else is sleeping with my partner, they're probably trying to supplant me. They might mm-hmm. be trying to replace me. It's hard to trust that you're safe with somebody you've never met or that um, who, whenever you're around, acts weird. Um, it's so one of the things I really love doing is trying to facilitate conversations between metamors so that at least they can come to a place of mutual trust and mm-hmm. at best become actual friends. And, um, you know, our, our polycule at this point is entirely made up of people who really care about each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have to say, it, it's kind of like winning the jackpot. You know, we've, um, I've definitely had partners who's where my metamors I couldn't understand, I couldn't get close to. But 
by putting effort into those relationships to at least get us to a place of trust, even if we don't want to hang out together, makes a huge difference. And when you can get into a place where you actually actively think, I understand why my partner wants to be with this person, this person is great, it's mm-hmm. so much easier to be joyful mm-hmm. um, and, and to actually like compersion. Compersion is so much easier when you understand why your partner is with somebody. Mm-hmm. And what if the metamor doesn't want to get to know you, is not interested in that? So that makes me a little wary. Um, if it's a matter of personality differences, um, you know, I, I then, you know, it's sometimes people just, you know, they try to get along and it just doesn't work. They're just too different or too similar, you know. I do get wary in situations where partners don't want or like are actively adverse to meeting their metamors. Um And that's something actually that this is a little bit of, it's a relevant digression, which is that a thing that I think people need to be aware of. When you are poly and you're starting to date a new person, it is your responsibility to not date people that are bad for your pre-existing relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, and a dislike, distrust, um, a disinclination to want to connect with other partners is a red flag for me. It doesn't mean, mm-hmm. like, I, I never like to make, you know, blanket statements that, that, that there can never be a reason for that. But in general, that's a bad sign. Um, when I'm dating somebody new, I'm very effusive about how much I adore my partners. And so I will talk about my partners. And if the person I'm, uh, this new person that I'm dating responds like they kind of wish I would not talk about the other people in my life that I love, then to me that mm-hmm. is a sign that this relationship isn't going to work because right. there's something going on here. This is not an honest, a person who honestly really sees the value in these different partnerships, but is maybe a person who feels insecure or threatened. And I'm not going to bring that into my relationships. Mm-hmm. Um, now, there have been times where uh, uh, a good number of years ago, I, I dated a gentleman who, when he was around other men, kind of turned into a bro. Like, he was really <laughs> uncomfortably awkward around other men. When he was around me, he was thoughtful and introspective and thought, you know, like, just a really solid human being. And, yeah, my husband, the first time he met him, was like, I don't understand why you like this person. <laughs> and I said, after watching that, I told him, you never will, because apparently mm. he can't be around you. And so, you know, my husband just said, look, I trust your judgment. Um, and we both kind of, you know, there have been a time or two where it's both of us have just looked at the other and said, you know, I trust your judgment. Please don't make me hang out with that person. Mm-hmm. And it can work. You know, it's just the, this person, are, you know, is, is a really good person, but they're, they've got an issue with something, and it can work. But it's, it's honestly not ideal. It's so much nicer when people can get to a place of real comfort and trust. Yeah, or at least tolerance. Yeah, I'm with. Yeah, I'm with you. I mean, I won't date anybody who has the veto with their partner because I'm not gonna mm-hmm. fall in love with them and six months later have their partner just ask me because she's threatened by our love. <laughs> you know, I'm not gonna. Yes. Oh God, veto. I need path. to add that to my list of. Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. But I have been in a situation where my partner was dating somebody who I just couldn't, I just, it was like, I couldn't connect with his other partner. And he was feeling a sense of shortage in his life and just wanted this person. And I was in a support group and someone said, we can't always know what the other person's spiritual path is for them. You know, that person may have some deeper message to give them and and it's their business. And I said, ah, I I hear you. Okay. So I just, went home and self-soothed and <laughs> let him have that relationship. And, of course, it, it didn't last very long. But, um, I think sometimes 
we have to just let them crash and burn, and it's not always easy, but it's their path. <laughs> I agree, and it, it it's about respecting that the other person knows what they're doing, and this is a thing that they mm-hmm. need to be doing for the time being. Um, right, right, and then, yeah. you know, also there's, you know, I, I think of it as sort of the Schrodinger's relationship. I've I've seen relationships where it's like I don't understand their partnership, but I don't have mm-hmm. to. What I can understand right. is that it makes my partner happy to be with them. And mm-hmm. by reframing it not like uh, I don't need control, I don't need to call the shots, um, I don't even need to understand it, but what I can reframe it as is I can totally support my partner having this connection because it brings them joy, and I don't mm-hmm. have to like it. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as it's right, not toxic. Beautiful. Now, if it's toxic, you know, that's different. Mm-hmm. But, you know, as long as it, it... It doesn't matter that I, you know, when my my partner date, uh dated somebody that I don't get. Mm-hmm. As long as it's healthy yeah. for them, then I can be happy for them. Right, and I, I appreciate that reframe that you've shared with us all throughout the hour about um, really just focusing, like uh, turning your focus toward um, what is best for my partner's happiness. That's what that's what they're doing out there in the world, having relationships and connecting with other people for their own joy and expression so if, if those are the choices they're making to be happy, I love them and I want them to be happy. So that, I'm going to take that mm-hmm. kernel with me. Um, and we're about out of time, but I want to make sure that you have enough time to tell our listeners how they can reach you and um, maybe offer them uh, a gift. But before I do, I want to thank you, Magenta, for being on the show. You're a very brilliant poly coach, and I've learned so much from you, and, and you really have you really know your stuff, so thank you. <laughs> thank you so much. I'm really honored. Yeah. Thank you for okay, bringing so me onto your show. You're welcome. So go ahead and tell our listeners how they can reach you, and if you have a gift for them, go ahead. Um, my website is polycoach.org. Um, there's a lot of information on there, uh, polycoach.org. I'm also on Facebook uh, at Polyamory Coaching. Uh, you can also just look up polyamory coaching and I, I pop up there pretty high up on the list is I'm polyamory coaching with magenta um, mm-hmm. and that's probably the easiest way to find my information um, and uh, I offer a free I, I do a lot of things over Skype phone um, I offer a free half an hour conversation because it's good you know you can't hire a coach until you know if your ideas modalities uh, resonate so um, I love getting to talk to people before they hire me so we can, you know, uh, determine if we're a good fit and if I have the perspective that is going to help you as an individual. Um, So, you know, you can go to my website or to Facebook and contact me through there. And, um, yeah, we can set up a phone call and see, you know, I've had a few people who've called me up and we've been able to figure out good solutions for, you know, issues in that half an hour which is awfully mm-hmm. fun. makes me feel very good about myself. Um, right. Yeah. So polycoach.org. Great. Yeah. Great, great URL. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Magenta, thanks again. Um, I wish you the best of luck, and we'll see you around. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Okay, bye-bye. So next week on Leading Edge Love Radio, I'll have as my guest two men who have each been on the show separately. One is Philippe Lewis, and the other is Blake Zeliar, and they have a special project that they're putting together to serve the poly community. So they're going to be talking about what they're up to and how they're going to be working together, a little power duo. So join us next week at 6 p.m. Pacific Time on Leading Edge Love Radio, and we'll be hearing from Blake and Philippe. Have a good night, everyone. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. 
sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.